Welcome to episode 156 of the Adventure Audio Podcast. In this episode, we're talking a lot about training. I'm coaxing some training tips out of Laval St. Germain. Uh, I hope that's valuable to everybody. It certainly is to me. We're also talking about just staying race ready and event ready uh, for when something comes up or really darn close to it. We're talking a little bit about the world's hardest cycling climbs, which is a project that Laval is taking on and it has completed the first of many of those climbs that he's planning to do all around the world and a whole host of other topics. We hope that you enjoy this episode. Thank you for tuning in. Best way to support the podcast, as we always say, is simply by word of mouth. So if you know somebody that would be interested in what we're doing with the show, just let them know about it. Or if you can share any content that we're putting out on social media, or by giving us a positive rating or review, wherever you're finding the podcast. This episode of the podcast is brought to you by the State Bicycle Company. Visit them at statebicycle.com. All kinds of really cool stuff going on at State all the time, including currently a newly released carbon fiber gravel bike that looks amazing. So the all road is now available in steel, aluminum and carbon fiber looks incredible as well as a road bike range, but they have seasonal stuff too. So give them a follow on social media as well. And if you're at the, at the store, use code audio one zero zero to get a hundred bucks off any other bicycles. The podcast is also brought to you by four I technologies. That's four. And then the letter I four times, who build power meters and heart rate monitors and stay tuned because next week we're going to give you some details on a contest that we're going to run and we're going to be giving away some very nice 4i products which we're very excited about and we're honored to work with both state and 4i thank you again for tuning in and on to this episode of adventure audio here today at 11 so I finished those presentations in Calgary at our Calgary office and then split to Edmonton last night got a quick jog in slept do this with you get another run in get a little bit of work done <laughs> awesome go through those meetings drive home get surgery in the morning that's right you're getting your beak work done I forgot about that yeah yeah why don't you explain to our listeners what you're getting done to your uh to your nose Pete oh yeah <laughs> guess I might as well because I might sound a bit different um, after, I don't know. So yeah, I have a deviated, a deviated septum, which is a result of having my nose broken. Pro- probably, probably, presumably, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. Most people who break their nose, you don't, you don't really know. It just, according to my ENT, um, you usually can tell because it will bleed like really profusely and, and won't stop for a while. That's usually how you know it's been broken. So I'm recalling way back, but mm-hmm. I, I think I broke it a few times probably as a kid, but you know, probably a lot of people do. Um, it's a pretty easy thing to break, especially if you're a little boy. Yeah. Don't doing everything, doing everything face first all the time. So my septum is this way. So I've been perpetually stuffy on this side of my head for I don't know, like my whole adult life. Now it's starting to affect sleep and stuff, which is, yeah. you know, not acceptable. So I need to go and need to go and get that fixed. Now, interestingly, my my surgeon is a friend of ours. He's a family friend. Christina grew up with him. He's a couple of years older than her, but was like a really good friend of her sister. And um, and he's he's based in Calgary. And uh, he was in my wedding. Oh, jeez. He'll be operating on me in the morning. So I trust him. So. <laughs> <laughs> I just hope it doesn't wreck that uh, your podcasting voice. Oh, I think it will only enhance it. <laughs> <laughs> but you know what's funny is somebody that I worked with asked me. He's like, 
Well, do you think it'll make you like, do you think it'll improve your running or, or cycling? Like, do you think it'll improve your cardio ability? And I, I actually hadn't really thought of that. I thought sleep will improve my improved quality mm-hmm. of sleep will improve my athletic performance, but I hadn't really thought about the breathing side of things. Well, if you're getting more O2 through your, through your nose, it should help. And, uh, yeah. And I've, I've also read studies that it's important to breathe through your nose as long as you can, mm-hmm. like before you start, like have to start gasping and breathing through your mouth, right? It's actually good for athletic performance to breathe through your nose more, which I can't do a lot of the time. Yeah. It's, I, I've, I've, I've heard, I've seen those studies and well, not studies, but those claims and I've heard uh, interviews on podcasts about nose breathing, how it increases your performance by such a dramatic event or uh, amount. But it seems to me that when you're struggling for air, um, y- you will figure out a way to do it the most efficiently without consciously deciding you can breathe through my nose or breathe through my mouth. And it seems like a lot of mental gymnastics to me to try and think about breathing through um, uh you know, what, what part of the face you're breathing through. I think when you're really looking for air, you're going to figure it out. When I'm that deep in it, I'm, I've usually got bigger, bigger concerns. It's yeah. at least it seems right. So, yeah, I, I, I seems, I, I seem, it seems like we can get into these trends. Like right now, one of the latest trends is rucking. So people go and buy expensive gear, um, rucking gear. Right. So, you know, weighted backpacks and weighted vests, and then they go rucking together. They go on a on a on a on a walk. But you know, are you about to invite me to do that? With a- no, I, I I invite you to go backpacking. I invite you to go hiking with a backpack on, or running with a uh, a running pack on, and that's what it used to be called is backpacking. It just seems like it's just another part of the fitness industry that's trying to get us to buy more equipment that. In reality, just go into the Alberta Rockies if you're us and go for a go for a hike with a backpack on. Go for an overnight. You don't have to use an artificially weighted uh, vest or a backpack. I mean, having said that, you know, any type of exercise is good, but it just seems like there's uh, there's always a, a new trend and a new fad in fitness. Well, but I'm not I'm not opposed to that because it doesn't sound like it's trying to circumnavigate hard work. At least, right? That's those are the trends that I usually push back on right in nutrition or training trends if it sounds too easy it's probably bullshit is kind mm-hmm. of my barometer right like mm-hmm. it just uh, seems a little contrived at times to me and, and it's uh, it's just another way to get money out of our jeans for for stuff that we used to call backpacking for example right. in, in this situation neither of us are opposed to spending on gear i'm sure <laughs> you definitely are it's definitely <laughs> mountaineering like i can't even imagine but that segues nicely, Laval, because I and I have not prepared you for this. Mm-hmm. So when we podcast the two of us, we don't, we don't, we really don't prepare at all. We kind of just mm-hmm. roll. But I was thinking about our ride. We finally got out for a ride after eight months of podcasting together. We got out for a ride on Sunday, but then on Monday I realized <clears throat> that the day before you had ridden a hundred k and done a thirty-four kilometer trail run. Is that right? Like about 50, 55 K to get to Moose Mountain, which is mm-hmm. uh, just west of Calgary. Mm-hmm. Uh, just, well, it's 55 kilometers west of Calgary yeah. or west of your house anyways. Then you did a 34 K trail run up and down Moose, which mm-hmm. is pushing a marathon. Mm-hmm. And then you rode home mm-hmm. and then you rode 112 kilometers, which is like around 70 miles with, uh, with my friend Dave and I on Sunday oh. morning. And you were like fresh as a daisy, and just fifty four. And I'm like, 
what in the fuck? I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna ask Laval about this on the podcast and see if I can get. Jeez, that's a setup to deliver some secrets here to the. So I know that that's it's framed in a compliment because I can't believe what you're capable of doing. It's pretty amazing to me. But there there has to be some some nuggets, some training wisdom that you can impart on some of our listeners and on me selfishly because I I certainly count you as a friend, but also as a mentor. And uh, I'm 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 astounded at your your ability to keep up. Now, obviously, you have really great genetics. I'm I'm sure that you would credit your family genealogy with some of your uh, your athletic ability. But like, what does your typical routine look like? It's it's atypical, period, because you travel so much. But how do you how how do you do that? That's really amazing. <laughs> Well, I mean, uh, uh, I think it's just the training load that I'm, I'm used to. So I've always trained. Um, before I go on a trip or I'm doing an expedition, people will say, well, did you train for this? I'm like, well, no, I just, I always train. And, and I like to do multi-sports. I like to run and ride and, and go to the gym. And I think the gym has helped me a lot in, in preventing injuries and keeping me um, from having knee injuries or hip problems or, or anything fairly serious, touch wood. Um, so a blend of, um, of resistance training and obviously this uh, endurance training has really helped. And it's just, it's part of my day, Pete, it's like brushing my teeth. You never go to bed without brushing your teeth. You never start your day without brushing your teeth. And it's, you have to, to me, you have to make it that regular and that non-negotiable. And it's, you know, people call it a sacrifice, but I, I just call it a choice. And, um, as long as I stay on it, then I can pull off days like, you know, 110k ride and a 34k trail run but uh, I love it I just love being able to do it I love setting a goal like going to bed that night and you know designing the route on Strava loading it up into my my um, head computer on my bike and just going and um, I mean even this morning I got back into the room at 4 a.m because I was uh, training pilots in the flight simulator here in Montreal and I was up by seven I got a 30-minute wait uh, workout in the hotel gym, uh, packed up. I brought my road bike with me. I've got a, a travel bike. It looks exactly like a regular bike. like a, It's a gravel bike. You can't tell it's a travel bike, but it's a Ritchie breakaway. It breaks into two pieces, and it uh, fits into a regular-sized, uh, well, a large uh, a suitcase. You don't pay any extra baggage fees. As long as it's under 23 kgs and it's up 21 kgs, and I just check it as a bag and I get to my hotel and build it. I can go on a great ride. So yesterday I did an 80K ride um, uh, before I went to work in the simulator. And the day before I did an 82K ride here. And it's, it, it, you just have to, you put an effort to, to pull this stuff off. But, um, and it allows you, I, I guess, at, I guess by you saying I'm 54, you're saying I'm old. But at 54, <laughs> I'm not sensitive on uh, pulling oh, yeah. off big days like that. And, uh, Everybody can do that. I don't have any special sauce, and um, I think it's important that our, uh, it's important that our listeners realize that we can all do this stuff with. I mean, with a certain level of training, you don't want to jump on your bike tomorrow and crank out 110k and 34, you know, run to the top of Moose Mountain back down. You probably get injured, but you know, b- build up to it, and uh, and you can do that. You're on three hours of sleep though. Today I'm on three hours of sleep. Yeah, but I'll sleep on the way home uh, on the flight home to Calgary. Just so, so the listeners realize I'm not flying the flight home. I'm a passenger. Of the flight. Yeah. <laughs> That's an important. Yeah. Answer. Yeah. Yeah. They're like, don't, don't fly with Laval. He can fly yeah. cargo. Yeah. Fly yeah. 
so um so you know that you know that so you're like okay i have a break here i can sleep there mm -hmm. and i can kind of fit all this stuff yeah in. yeah but so what is what is like how often do you strength train i try to do uh i don't try to do i i i minimum three days a week so every second day but it usually comes out to five days a week but i i try and the absolute minimum would be uh three days a week and uh, hopefully more than that and uh, because I do so much, um, you know, cycling and running, I, I focus on upper body stuff. And now, right, right now, I'm training for the Adventure Race World Championships in um, the Eastern Cape of uh, South Africa in October. So I am focusing a lot on um, on my upper body for uh, kayaking. So you know, a lot of uh, uh, weight training where I'm focusing on the on the moves I do for kayaking. I, I'm you know, my legs are good. My, my endurance is good. I'm just training for that, you know, very specific um, training for paddling because there's a lot of paddling in the race I'm going to be in. So. And so that's the only time that you would start to actually augment your training a little bit is when you have a particular just, event. And you're yes. like, I know I'm going to need to do this a lot. Yes. Like when I rode lower or are you just, are you bench pressing and using free weights? So, so it, it all depends. I've got three different sequences. I've got a dumbbell day where I use dumbbells. I've got a bodyweight day where I do bodyweight exercises only. And then I've got a barbell day where I use barbells. And I, I try and get in uh, a day of machines as well. So, and my workouts, if you, if you look at my Strava, they're between about 25 and 42 minutes. They're averaging around 30 minutes. So, but I do it religiously always. You know, I, I just don't skip it. You can, everybody can find 30 minutes in their day. We have a gym in our basement as, as well, but I prefer to go to the, to the the gym about a kilometer and a half from her house but um i just find that you're you, you know there's less distractions you're more focused that way plus i get a little mini ride or a ride in to get to the gym so you just make it part of your of your daily routine and it uh it's incredible it's uh it's it's my antidepressant my energy pill my everything is is uh is fitness same with you, Pete. I, I see your Strava, and you're always doing something. And you're on the road. You're traveling to Saskatchewan to see the in-laws. You're in uh, Toronto or Ontario doing stuff, and you're always cranking out a run. Always. Well, that's a lot of what you're saying is <laughs> I do all of those things, but I'm still not without. <laughs> you're lucky. <laughs> like, it's pretty wild. Okay, what about nutrition? Do you do anything special or different nutrition-wise? Because you, I've looked at pictures of you climbing Everest, which was in 2012. 2010. 2010. Um, you know, I look back in the archives, and you look like you've been about the same size your entire adult life. Yeah. Within probably a few pounds, right? Yep. I always so maintain the same weight. So how does that, how, how is that? Just, and mine, mine's been, well, I probably have a 15-pound range in my adult life, which yeah. is not, not crazy. <laughs> Um, and I'm, and I'm certainly not towards the top end of it right now, which is good. Yep. So I think I'm doing a lot of these things, but man, there's gotta be. I, I wrote if you, uh, Pete, you're lean and you're at a, a you know, you got a, a perfect physique for endurance. Um, I mean, if a person was going to do a dedicated race, so like, uh, you know, a short event, like, I don't know, like a 200 K road bike race or a, or a gravel race or something like that, not something that's going to last for for days and days and days and then a person can probably always afford to lose about two kgs about five pounds and that makes such a difference we as cyclists we spend so much time talking about the weight of our bike the weight of our equipment and yet you look at guys and they've got like a muffin top 
and you know you lose that and it's like it's like two thousand dollars of carbon being being uh purchased to to make your bike lighter so it's um um i i do watch what i eat i you know i i'm just smart about it i i'm gonna go to the the airport now i'm not gonna probably i'll just stay away from carbs i'll probably have a salad i might have an omelet or something at the airport because it's uh it's morning and just stay away from the the carbs as much as possible um unless i have a a big run or an event coming up the next day or within a couple of days and i try and get the glycogen stores up i don't drink pop i try to avoid sugar as much as possible having said that though we you know i do enjoy a good meal i do love bread i do love a nice craft beer and a nice glass of wine i don't live like some type of uh like a monk but you know, you're just you're just smart about it I'm always careful to tell people that too, because they assume that I am monk-like and I'm, I'm, I promise no. you I'm not. I no. eat pizza and I drink beer and yep. it, just not, not to excess, not like nothing to excess. Right. Like yep. That's, that's been critical for me, but yeah, I mean like, man, I'm, I'm, I'm in awe of being able to do that. I could, if I had back to back days, I could do that, but I would have been shattered. Oh, you mean the ride we did the other day? I mean, I could feel it a little bit in my legs when we were on hills. I could feel like, you know, you get that. But I love that deep muscle ache of a, of a really fatigued muscle. But I could, you know, I, I I can feel it. I'm human. Like I, when we were going up hills and I was, you know, putting the hammer down, I could feel it in my legs. But it's like, you know, yesterday I was riding here in Montreal and I and I somehow stumbled onto the Gilles Villeneuve circuit, the, the race car circuit. It's open to cyclists. What a blast. I went from just a you know, a long ride, not a long ride, an 80K ride to racing road bikers around this, like just in a Peloton. It was absolutely a blast. And I wasn't planning on that. I was just going to do sort of a, I think a zone two type of ride. And next thing I know, I'm like redlining it. So I could, I could still feel my legs a little bit from the, from the ride run I did the other day, but it's good. I mean, I think it's important that you, that you overload your body and you load it like that and you recover and, you know, you recover wisely, but um yeah it's uh it's amazing what the human body can do i'm relieved to hear that you can feel it at least that's that's good news okay do you work with a coach nope have you ever never self-coached yeah i do a lot of reading on this stuff we have people on like uh you know that that are experts in training and we talk to them and i and when you're researching guests that do this stuff you uh you know you pick up a lot of stuff there's so much literature out there I think a coach would be good if a person needed a coach because they would get a hold of you and say, hey, did you do this today? Did you do that? And then most importantly, I think with a coach is that they promote those days and you have to go slow, those recovery days. And it's really hard for, I think, you. And uh, it's hard for me to go on a, on a really slow bike ride where you are artificially restricting yourself because you, you need to hit a certain heart rate. So th those that's tough. I did that. You know, years ago, I was training for um, uh, racing, adventure racing and mountain bike racing. And I there was a, a program in Bicycling Magazine that was really good. And on those slow days, it was strange to go out there and have little old ladies passing you and people to that don't ride bikes. Happen. Yeah, to let it happen. Um, but it worked. I mean, it really worked. So, And for volume, you've been cycling a lot, but you don't actually run like your running isn't isn't in massive volume, but you seem to be able to go out and run a marathon pretty much. It mm -hmm. seems like at the drop of a hat is that, have you always been like that with running? In, like, uh, no, 
No, I used I used to run more. No, I didn't run track. I uh, in two thousand and eight, I trained and uh, ran the Canadian Death Race, which is an ultra marathon. Uh, Grand Cache, Alberta, twenty five Grand Cache, Alberta, one hundred twenty five k, if I remember right. And uh, I trained a lot for that. I ran a lot. Like I was running to work, fifteen k each each way, and then coming home, eating something, and then running stairs. And I came third in that race in, in the solo men's uh, category. And and I remember I was so strong in that race that the sixty k mark at the sixty k marker, I thought, wow. I'm just getting warmed up. It was really a great, just a fantastic feeling to to be that tuned up for a race. Um, but, you know, running, if I could run on the trails all the time, I'd be running all the time. But I live in the city and it's uh, I just don't like pounding the pavement. So that's why I have to sneak out to the mountains and do a trail run, but I get out there using my bike. Yeah, it, it is different even... I'll, I'll sometimes even, even transitioning between pavement and getting to a trail, I'll sometimes just run on the grass yeah. next to the pavement. Yep. It's just, even though I'm slower, I just prefer it. And I yep. feel like it builds fatigue less. And I, my, this is my own perception, but I feel like it's a much more dynamic movement. And I think it's better for you because it's less repetitive. There's the ground on oh, yeah. and moves a little bit. And if you have, if you don't have like ankle problems, um, which I don't knock wood. I've always been fortunate that way. Um, I I think I think I feel like it's a much better overall oh. full body workout and way more dynamic. So, I guess undulating working. and you're dodging roots and you're you know running on uneven surfaces. I think it's better for your knees, better for your for your entire you know undercarriage, your whole lower part of your body. It's because you're always adjusting versus just pounding out 10k on a sidewalk and you know the only obstacles are when you have to jump off the curb and i don't i really don't think it's natural for human beings to run on rock which is what pavement would be in in, in the natural environment for 40 some k there, there's really no place on earth where you're continuously running on, on a hard surface like that you'd be running on sand and loam and and grass and rock and gravel and and it's i think that's where our, our bodies are designed to move yeah, running running forty two point two kilometers on pavement on uh, and dead flat with zero meters gained, just that is not appealing to me anymore. Yeah. Not at all. Actually it wasn't even appealing to me when I did it. It was just like a box to check, I think. But So so that's so that's a marathon race. Tell us about your uh your your race that you put on. How did it go in Crozenos Pass? How was the attendance? How was the weather? Oh yeah, geez, we haven't even talked about that, right? We got we got we got lucky. I mean, every year it feels like a like a lottery with uh with the weather and smoke weather weather's one thing right i mean mm-hmm. if the rain rolls in or something like that or if it gets cold it's like welcome welcome to the mountains right go deal with it like that's that's kind of the point of the challenge is that it's not supposed to be perfect out there some years it might be heat some years it might be cold some years it might be wet and slippery um or muddy and uh it can it's supposed to be supposed to be unpredictable the thing that we can't really get around though is smoke so if it's you know if the smoke really rolls in then we've got some decision making to do so, and we and we had a bad bad year for smoke in Western Canada, as you know. Um, but we got we got fortunate, and it sort of blew out, and was uh, was clear and visible, and just absolutely beautiful for for both days of mountain biking and gravel. You know, crow's nest; it gets windy in the afternoons. Uh, also, part of the challenge. Uh, but we had an awesome awesome day of racing. So uh, attendance grew a little bit. Uh, we didn't have any significant injuries, so also knockwood. That's kind of my ideal 
is lots of little uh, cuts and bruises and and no broken bones. I like to see people a little scraped up coming in. And like, yeah, well, yeah. Happened, but not actually hurt, right? Dinged up, but not hurt. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it was incredible. I spent all day, both days out on the course, uh, capturing footage and, and just making sure that people were looked after and having a good time. Uh, but it was, it was amazing. It's one of my favorite weekends of the whole year when, and I don't even get to, I don't even get to race in it, but although I do, as you say, you can make training out of just about anything. So, I mean, I was our videographer for the day. So I was out, I mean, I probably, I probably did, uh, in three days, I probably did 70 or 80 K on foot between jogging and power hiking and, you know, getting up to the top of the mountain. That's great. Yeah. So I was pretty, I was pretty trashed after that but it's 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 all good training right and i could have i could have accessed a lot of that stuff with my car but like why would why would i do that there you go what a weirdo i know (laughs) how many how many racers in a combined total between the gravel and the mountain bike uh we had about 300 holy cow that's getting to be a really big event well, I mean, relatively speaking, it's still not big, but it is grow- it's growing a little bit every year, which is our goal, right? It's We don't need to be the biggest. Um, it's it's not either of our full-time jobs. When I say either, it's uh, um, ex-podcast guest, Sasha Hockenhall, who's my cousin and, and uh, partner in that. Um, it's our, it's a, just a passion project that we just, we just love it. It's like, it is, it is my baby for sure. It really is. So next year will be our fifth anniversary, actually our sixth year, but we didn't race during COVID. Yeah. So because it's my race, I have the liberty to say that it's our fifth anniversary, <laughs> not our fifth. <laughs> so I could make whatever I want. Um, so if you, if, if you have family on the podcast, would we call that nepotism? What would we call that? If you, if you have a relative <laughs> on there. Pretty soon your kids are going to be on here. That's a good dad joke. Yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. Be careful. I might I might have them on at some point. How did hockey trials go, by the way? That reminds me. We, we uh, Pete and I and uh, his buddy Dave. What's Dave's last name? Hercock. H-I-R-C-O-C-K. Uh, we were riding the other day, and um, you had to get back at a certain time for hockey trials. How did it go? Yeah, it's ongoing. It's okay. ongoing. So that's, yeah, that's, uh, it's Canada, right? So that goes on for weeks. That's about. right. Yeah, I guess for the international listeners and uh, Americans, etc., they don't realize what a religion uh, hockey is up here. Speaking of sports religions, um, since our last uh, podcast, uh, or actually the, just the two of us together in the podcast, we had Ash Routon on uh, recently, which is really interesting, an outdoor journalist. People should listen to that. And uh, a polar adventure himself. He skied across uh, the frozen surface of Lake Baikal in Siberia a few years ago, and he skied uh, about a 200k, or sorry, hiked about a 200k section of of the west coast of uh, Greenland as well. So I think it was the west coast of Greenland. So he was an interesting guy. Take a listen to that. But before that, we had a bit of a hiatus uh, podcasting because uh, you were. Uh, bouncing around Western Canada on family vacations. And then I, uh, my wife, Jan, and I went down to uh, South America, down to Bogota, Panama City, Santiago, Chile, and uh, a good chunk of Argentina. And I threw my travel bike into my luggage and rode up one of the climbs that we've talked about, the Alto de Letras climb, which is purportedly the, the hardest, our longest road bike climb in the world, but it's actually three or four if you if you really get into it, and we learned that from John Johnson, who uh, has the P Jam Cycling site, pjaam.com. 
and uh, they are an organization that ranks cycling climbs, which is to me a fantastic organization. So I decided to ride this climb. So for the cyclists and the endurance junkies in our audience, it's an 81 uh, kilometer climb starting in Medikita, Colombia, and it uh, tops out at uh, over 12,000 feet above sea level. And um, you gain 12,749 feet of elevation or 3,886 meters on the climb in 81K. And um, you start at the, 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 the day I arrived in Medikita was 37 degrees Celsius and absolute dripping humidity. Um, the, the next day it only got up to about 34 but you start off in this steaming tropical jungle-like uh, area and you top out, it's 8, maybe 10 degrees Celsius and you're high up in the Andes. So the vast majority of people ride this route and then they have a, a support vehicle with them to give them water and food and clothing, et cetera, as you need it. But obviously I was there by myself. So I had to, uh, to ride up it and most people then get a ride down in a vehicle so i had to ride down it so that made up for a uh, it ended up being a 5000 meter day of climbing in 163k so that's 16400 feet of climbing it was a beast of a climb but fantastic yeah you did you did half of a everesting rome yeah that's right, right. yeah like 5000 meters almost because he almost had the almost had the case to match too and I was emailing with John while I was there, and he, and he said, you know, don't take the descent lightly. And I would put the descent in inverted commas or air quotes because you gain an additional 1,200 meters or so in the descent. There's so many ups and downs. It was a really hard day, and I was I picked up something. I obviously ate some bad food or some contaminated water there, so. I was feeling a little dodgy on that ride, and it really kicked in when I got to the bottom. I spent a few days visiting um, toilets all over Colombia, but uh, what a spectacular part of the world. So if anybody is heading to Colombia, it's a real easy trip to get to Mariquita. You take a bus there, and uh, I think the bus was about $20, and uh, absolutely an amazing country and a fantastic ride. So I was really happy to pull that off. Well, that's one of i don't know if you want to publicly announce it or not but you have definitely been scheming about launching yourself a personal project to tick off a lot of these rides including including you including me yeah well, uh, yeah i won't be able to i won't be able to join you for all of them but i'm going to join you for some mm-hmm. so find a way so pete and i are setting off on a project over the next uh year to cycle the 10 hardest cycling climbs in the world so they range from Wulang Pass in Taiwan to uh, Mauna Kea in Hawaii, uh, and and then the rest of them are all in South America and the Andes. And these are some brutes. So they're not just the longest or the hardest, but some of them get you the highest. Some of them are the most epic, and you can find all these climbs on the PJAM uh, cycling website. So it was hey, uh, some of them are gravel. Some or some of them are gravel. Yeah, and we kind of talked about this with Mauna Kea. There's a paved route you can do in Mauna Kea with the top portion being gravel. But there's also the gravel route where you can, you know, start and, and the whole thing's gravel. So I didn't know yeah. that. I, didn't know there up. Yeah. I knew that there was like, like the road with the gravel section. Yeah, at the top. But I've heard people strategize about a whole bunch of different ways. Um, I had uh, 
um, Guy Townsend on the mm-hmm. podcast with Tyler uh, probably a year and a half, two years ago, um, who did it and uh, had had a support vehicle with him. Uh, but I've also heard of people having a support vehicle meet them with a mountain bike just for that. That's right. Yes. To get back other so there's it's been tackled numerous ways, uh, but it is a short list of people who've who've cycled all the way to the top of that thing. Yeah, it's a it's a real grunt. You start at sea level, sea level, yeah, and you go. To, yeah, I've been up there. I I uh, I uh, drove up there. Well, p- part of the way up there. And then I uh, hiked up there with skis and skied off the summit of Mauna Kea once. Um, and then I went snorkeling the same day, which is so cool to be of course. skiing and then and then snorkeling on the same day. It was a long day. Janet wasn't happy, but I got up early and did. I think I was up at one o'clock in the morning so I could pull it off and get back in time so that I didn't miss any quality time on the beach. But uh, yeah, it's a spectacular area. And you're a bit of a... Uh, yeah. We have so many similarities to the way we roll, man. That's hilarious. Yeah. So I went when we were. Uh, I wanted to go up Haleakala on Maui. Oh, more than ten years ago, the kids were little, so I did the I did the same thing. I got up at about three, got to a twenty four hour gas station, bought a bunch of Snickers bars. Yeah, went, I love it. We rented bike and went from Pea to the top and and back, and and I was back on the beach with the with Christina and the kids by like two in the afternoon. But that's what you got to do to fit it all in, right? Yeah. You got to do that. Like I've done more things like that where I get up at some God awful hour and drive across. I mean, this time last year, well, in October last year, we were in Romania and I, I woke up at one in the morning, drove all the way across Romania, ran up the highest peak in Romania, back down, fell, broke my ribs, jumped in the car. Yeah. And then uh, went back to, uh, to, uh, to Janet and uh, we spent the day like hanging out in uh, Bucharest. <laughs> it was so bizarre. With your broken ribs. Yeah. Why do you ever feel like you're leading this weird two, like there's the two lives kind of happening <laughs> congruently? Yeah. Or it's all integrated. Well, it's weird because, um, you know, my job and your job too. I mean, we have our, you have your, your job with uh, Honda Canada and I have my job as, as an airline pilot and, you know, I wear a, a white shirt and a tie all day in a uniform, but uh, you know, I'm just as comfortable wearing Lycra. <laughs> it is a little weird. Yeah. It is. Well, it's funny, right? Like I, I, I don't like shitty hotels, but I'd rather sleep in a tent than a shitty hotel. So I need to be in like a nice hotel or, or a tent. Like Eric Larson said, one of our previous guests, he considers himself a professional camper. Yeah. That's... <laughs> that was a Eric. great interview. Yeah. Amazing. Got a lot of incredible feedback about that. And we have, We've got three in the hopper right now that are going to be fantastic. One um, is another polar guy, but perhaps the most famous, well-known of all uh, polar adventurers. We've got a uh, uh, bush pilot slash photographer slash poet slash bikepacker. It's all one person. She's going to be on. And then we have a guy that specializes in sport uh, psychology who I've... uh, you know, was lucky enough to have dinner with, and he's going to be on specializing in the flow state that we all get into and we're performing at our peak. So we've got some really interesting guests coming up. I'm really looking forward to it. Oh, yeah. If he can have any tips on how to elongate that flow state. Yeah. Because you do, you go in and out of it, and you go, um, like, you got you got to try and maximize those highs, and you know the low is coming, and you try and minimize the low. So I'm very interested to know, even, even, with, even in a four- or five-hour bike ride, 
We had such a good ride the other day. I, I remember a couple times I looked over and I, and I just said, this is why we ride. Like, this is why we ride. It was one of those September days, not a cloud in the sky. The trees are changing color in the Alberta foothills. The mountains were off in the distance, standing guard. It was just an incredible ride. And Dave's a great guy. So that was really fun to get out there. Definitely. That's kind of the points of all of it. So yeah, we do. We have some amazing people coming up. Um, including somebody familiar to the podcast. We're going to be able to have Tyler on, I think, towards the end of the month and have welcome him back and catch up with him a little bit and he can tell us some stories. Um, so it's going to be it's going to be great. Yeah, we've got lots going on and we'll try not to take another a month off, but we were out uh, out adventuring. Yeah, and good luck with that, uh, that no surgery that you're going to have tomorrow. I mean, um, I think they only have about a 60% failure rate on that one where they actually mangle you so bad that you're going to be unrecognizable, but... <laughs> great yeah so, uh, i'm gonna hopefully uh have some hopefully have some athletic uh upside maybe, maybe we'll see we'll see so i don't know hope, hopefully recovery's pretty quick um every people who listen to this podcast know that i'm not a fan of days off so i've got uh the tra- i'll have the trainer set up and you know low impact yep. for a few weeks and and just uh you know try and get back back to myself as quick as i can or maybe an even better version of myself, a little bit more sleep. Well, here we are both in our uh, separate hotel rooms. I'm in Montreal. You're in Edmonton. I'm going to go catch a flight home to Calgary. You continue on up there, Pete, and um, we'll uh, reconvene here in a few days once you uh, get that gauze ripped out of your nose and we'll do another podcast. Looking forward to it, buddy. Appreciate it. Thanks, everybody. See you. Bye. Thanks again for listening. As I said at the start of the show, we really appreciate you spending some of your time with us. It means a lot. Uh, we love our little audience and uh, we also love to get feedback. So if you have questions or comments about something you've heard on the pod, please give us, uh, give us, a, shoot us an email. It's adventureaudiopodcast at gmail.com or you can reach either Laval or I probably on Instagram is probably the easiest way to connect with us via a message. And then if you're able to support the podcast simply by word of mouth, by if there's some, if the, what we do is interesting to somebody that you know, please let them know about the podcast. And then of course, if you're able to share some content that we're putting out on social media, that helps us reach new audience members as do positive ratings and reviews. So whether you're finding the show on Spotify or Google or Apple or any other podcast platform, there's probably the ability to like and rate and comment on uh, your, the program there. 
uh, and that actually helps us find new audience members. So thank you for doing this so and for supporting the podcast that way. And we'll be back to you very soon.